0: Luno, the fastest, easiest way to buy Bitcoin. If you're just getting into crypto, it's the perfect place to start. Hey guys, and welcome back to the show. Um, Of course, it is powered by Icon Capital, the VC company. So Matthew, welcome to the show. How are you?
1: Pleased to be here today, Leah. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, it's such a pleasure. I'm really excited to jump in. I have a million and one questions. But before we do, um, I just want to let everybody know that this is sponsored by BlockFi and you can actually get up to $250 when you sign up. Um, I think you can get around 6% interest, which is really cool. So there's a link somewhere for you. So Matthew, you are the CEO of Sino Global Capital. For those that don't know, just give us a brief intro as to what you guys do.
1: Sure. So we invest... as strategic investors in the best blockchain projects all around the world. And the reason it's a strategic check is we help our portfolio companies here in mainland China, which certainly, as we've seen in the last week or so, is arguably the most important market in crypto. And certainly among the major markets is the most uh, esoteric and really impenetrable for international projects. So basically, we touch four bases, East, West, finance and technology. And we're pretty good across those four bases. And we invest uh, in crypto, but as more with a traditional VC approach, namely that we find people that we think are fucking awesome, that we want to hang out with for the long term, and we support them uh, here in China. So We look for the best people around the world, people like uh, like FTT and Serum and Solana, people like Sam Bankman-Fried and Anatoly from Solana, and we support them day in, day out here with Boots on the Ground in China.
0: I think um, with everything that's going on um, with China and over the last two weeks, it's such a fascinating place to be based because it's really hard to understand exactly what is going on and just how much the market is being affected. So I want to go through all of it. Um, I really don't fully have um, a hold on the situation. So given you're there, just to start with the absolute basics, what are the attitudes like towards crypto?
1: So I I, I think it's, it's difficult to answer questions like that because really you have so many different constituencies. So when you say attitudes towards crypto, you have a small number of people that are engaging with crypto in a sophisticated institutional way. You have a vast swath of people that are engaging in a retail way. You have uh, regulators. Uh, You have all kinds of different people with all kinds of different views. So I, I think it's kind of tough to, to answer in that way. Um, the, the best way really to answer it is that, I mean, how would you answer for that for the US? You have some people who think it's bullshit. You have some people who think it's the greatest thing ever and they're tweeting about Doge or whatever. You have some people that are hot and cold like Elon. You got all kinds of people. So it's really similar in, in that respect, I would say.
0: But if I, I look to India, for example, or Nigeria, I could sort of say a clean, you know, okay, well, their governments are hostile towards it, and that's really obvious. But China, it's really hard to understand what's going on. There's a lot of flip-flopping, um, you know, sure, so every... The, go on, yeah, go on.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. So if you narrow the question to the Chinese government, then that's yes. easier to answer. So uh, I would answer thusly. So the Chinese government... Uh, view blockchain as a strategic technology, much in the way that they do technologies such as AI and 5G, they view it as enormously important. And that's why, for example, they've been working on their Shoes that Will Be, their digital currency, for years now. And it's uh, finally uh, on the, on about to come to fruition. Um, so that's blockchain, though. And as we know, blockchain is for sure not the same thing as crypto. Uh, That's more distributed ledger type things, not pure crypto. Right. So um, conversely, I think that they're kind of wary and not super comfortable with crypto because it engages and overlaps with strategic technology. Blockchain in many ways, they they don't quite want to just shut it down entirely, Um, but they're, they're kind of wary of it. And I think that wariness explains hot and cold behavior in in some ways. Uh, But stepping back from that, I think that um, one reason that it's quite difficult to interpret, there are several reasons, Mm -hmm. but one reason quite difficult to interpret Chinese government pronouncements is that you need a lot of contextual knowledge. And so... Part of that contextual knowledge that I think is super important in understanding the Chinese government action with respect to crypto is you you need to know where the the third rails are. The third rail is that that electric rail that you can't touch. So the Chinese government with respect to crypto, the first third rail is that uh, they're enormously sensitive to anything that interacts with the currency control regime. Uh, As as most people probably know, the renminbi is not a free-floating currency like the United States dollar. It's a strictly controlled currency. And so anything that could potentially be an end around or weaken the currency control regime, that's a a third rail. They're enormously sensitive to that. So that's the first one. Uh, The second one, then, is anything... Uh, so the first two are related. The the the, the second one then is uh, fiat on and off ramp and anything mm-hmm. related to AML and tax evasion. Um, uh, and then the third thing I would say is uh, anything related to excessive retail speculation. And so it's important to understand that um, there are a lot of even before crypto and even now, but not related to crypto, there's a lot of uh, MLM and Ponzi type financial schemes uh, here in China called Pon, And um, so these things uh, can really metastasize metastasize overnight, especially on a regional basis. And so um, what you can have is you can have tens of thousands of people in some kind of random city that have all invested in a shit coin. If you're lucky, maybe there's some actual value there, but probably there's not. So probably they're investing in some Ponzi coin and it may be very regional. And then when it collapses, you can suddenly have thousands or even tens of thousands of very pissed off people in a specific place that are almost kind of like mobilizing and and you know, potentially even protesting. And so the government is enormously sensitive to this kind of potential retail inv- uh, yeah. investor yeah. unrest. So I, I think when you interpret uh, Chinese government pronouncements, one reason it's it's so difficult is you, you have to understand what is actually super important to them and then kind of start on that basis.
0: I think, so you, just to go back a second, you mentioned fiat on and off ramps, is it difficult for a retail investor to actually buy Bitcoin out there,
1: so it that I, I would say it like this: um, there's enormous creativity in um, in in finding ways to to get done what you want to get done. So okay. people have uh, by observation, there's an almost endlessly creative uh, solution space that people have. In, in order to get in and out, but um, it's it's something that's enormously sensitive. Frankly, this is a, a topic that, that we know a lot less about because we don't go anywhere near there. I've literally never gone from fiat in or out to crypto ever, not even once. Wait, I just wanna, why not? Because this is something that's very sensitive and so I, I like to sleep very peacefully. <laughs> Okay. So Sino has literally never done that, ever. We never Remen Rememimi, ever. Not even ever. So uh, it's an area, that, the point, though, being that it's an area that we know a little bit less about because of that. Um, but, you know, by observation, there's enormous energy that goes into finding end-arounds for this kind of thing. But it's, it's a very... Uh, at best, it's a gray area, and it's a very uh, dangerous activity, as we saw, uh, I guess it was about a year ago, with a famous China OG who, who was arrested for this type of activity. He's actually a Bitfinex uh, shareholder, um, and, and these things definitely happen from time to time. It's not something you you, you want to be involved with, but but people spend a lot of energy on this, and they for sure do find ways to do it. For sure, but this is—it's no change that that's a sensitive activity. That's something that has been the case for quite a long period of time.
0: Okay, so would you then say operating in China um, in this industry is difficult? Because if we compare it to the UK, where I'm based right now, it's super easy. It's so easy to buy Bitcoin. It's it. Everything is so you know. There's no threat or any concern or anything like that.
1: Uh, I think that it kind of depends what you're looking to do. So certainly, um, it, you, if you already have money in crypto, you are free to currently free to uh, trade okay. crypto. Uh, if you already have money in in the crypto system, so to speak, as long as you're compliant with AML and and uh, and tax and and such. Um, and 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 so you know ultimately it it depends what what you're looking to do it it's definitely a more much more complicated landscape uh even for uh you know native chinese or, or people that are fully expert in the chinese market um and and that's for sure for many reasons one reason is that um in the west we have uh pretty much a, a black and white legal landscape, which is why, another reason why it's difficult for people to understand what's going on in China. Uh, in the UK or in the United States, it's kind of like you have you know 30% of things that are definitely illegal, and then mm-hmm. you have 68% of things that are definitely illegal, and then you have a, a gray area that's kind of like 2%. In China, mm-hmm. it's more like you have 15% of things that are definitely illegal, and forty percent of things that are definitely legal, and then you have a huge gray area. So that's uh, a very different framework to operate in, to have an enormous gray area um, rather than you know a very a very black and white landscape. Uh, that's yeah. another reason that yeah. it's super difficult for people to understand um, what's going on in China, because you have kind of what's on paper in in the West. I think that there the overlap between what's on paper and what's actually taking place on the ground is, sure, you, you know, can't. enormous. It's, it's a, a huge overlap and China, there is a substantially, uh, the, the, the overlap is substantially less. Mm-hmm. You, you definitely can't understand the landscape by just looking at what's on paper that will definitely get you very confused very quickly. Uh, So you you have to have an understanding of two things. Number one, what's on paper. Number two, facts on the ground. And then the third thing, you also need to understand how those two interact and how that might change over time. So it's definitely, uh, in a way, more nuanced.
0: Yeah, and I think I think the confusion comes in because every single bull market, and you know, we've seen over the last few weeks, there's always news coming out um, of China that you know they've banned this or they've stopped that. So, and then also actually, I think it was about three weeks ago I made a video because China actually made gave the green light on something Bitcoin related. So then that's a bit of a flip flop there. So how can the same news keep coming out? I think that's kind of what I don't understand. Are they? Are they just re, um, reinforcing a previous um, hostility from 2017, for example?
1: So I would phrase it like this. Um, one way the Chinese government manages um, financial markets, and including crypto, um is that they use signaling as a way to tamp down on excessive speculative forces, for example. So some uh, so so as the, the market goes through a bull and bear cycles in a bull cycle, we can expect that the Chinese government at some point is likely to signal that things are are getting a little too, um a, a little too frothy mm. so uh in that sense that that's something that would be a repeated action against you across rather many years uh so that's the first thing
0: but just on just that point that, nothing uh, is actually changing it's merely a signal
1: well i i think that, that is, um, I, I think that that's too simple of you. In 2017, okay. it's definitely true that there was a crackdown on ICO-related activities. Yeah. Uh, it's also definitely true that there were counter responses, uh, even to the point of, of, of small things, such as uh, people know that they can't talk freely, probably about ICOs on WeChat, so they start using little codes like IC0 or whatever was one that was very common. Yeah. So um, it, it's important to understand that first that people are enormously creative at moving around with the the, the central government based in Beijing may want at any given time, and that can. Uh, Reveal itself in several aspects that can reveal itself in the fact that sometimes there's a disconnect between uh, The the central government and regional or local governments number one and number two that there's again these creative solutions uh, to to uh, moving around government uh, policy imperatives I'm trying to remember the expression off the top of my head but it's something like the the mountains are high and the emperor is far far away something like that but uh, you know the point is that what the central government based in Beijing wants to get done is not always what will, will ultimately happen uh, there's also the expression yao Shayo su," which basically means that there are there are uh, you know measures and then there are countermeasures so, in Beijing, they might want one thing, and then locally, they they might find a way to get done what they want to get done.
0: <laughs> Understood. So there's a lot okay. of complicated
1: okay. nuances.
0: Yeah, no, I I get that, and I really appreciate you breaking that down. Um, it is so difficult to fully understand what is going on. because um, like you said, what happens in practice isn't necessarily some yeah. um doesn't necessarily reflect what's what's happening on paper. Um, sure. but this week there was um apparently in the news it said, um, a crackdown um, on Bitcoin miners in Beijing. So before we get into that, how correct is that?
1: So I I think that's, uh, I I would not phrase it that way. I would phrase it as this. So um, there was a routine policy meeting related to financial stability not specifically Bitcoin, not specifically crypto, but overall financial stability, uh, a routine meeting. And as part of that meeting, there was a line item uh, which was uh, related specifically to crypto, including Bitcoin mining. Okay. So I, I think, first of all, it's uh, important to understand that this is not a story specifically about crypto. It's a story about how the Chinese government doesn't like excessive uh, financial speculation, especially retail. Um, now, it is true that that was a meeting at the vice premier level, and the vice premier is uh, is the, the point person for economic policy. So it is true that it's very serious in, in that regard. But uh, I would view it as This is an initial indication that the government is very closely studying these issues and is uh, evaluating possible uh, policies that could be implemented. Uh, That's quite different than um, uh, overnight Bitcoin mining is banned, something like that. so there, there are a lot of open questions such as is, is this something that uh, would be implemented at the national level? Is this something that would be implemented at the provincial level? What would be the possible scope? Would, for example, are we talking about Bitcoin mining or are we talking about unauthorized Bitcoin mining? Because that's two extremely different things. Uh, So there are a lot of open questions. And I I think as a result, it's very important to um, use one's contextual knowledge of China and uh, evaluate a range of possibilities and try to put a probability on those. Uh, The fact is that Uh, When the Chinese government moves, it frequently starts as high-level, opaque policy pronouncements, which are very difficult to interpret. That's kind of where we are now. And then as time goes on, you can start with details around those. So so therefore, I I think uh, a, a credible analysis would say that there's a wide range of potential outcomes, and we're trying to put probabilities on those. Um, It's much less, or maybe even not credible, if we start to see things saying, uh, Bitcoin mining banned, Bitcoin in China is over, you know, something like that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, So I would kind of suggest that that's a good way to look at it.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I feel like I definitely have a better grip now on the situation of understanding how it works. Um, There are always these concerns that Bitcoin mining is centralized in China. Before we get into what that could mean, um, I just wanted to know where you stand on that.
1: Well, uh, so I I think. uh, It's the the question. Uh, Am I concerned that uh, the region, the country of China, which is also a region, am I concerned that there's so much uh, mining hash rate in China? Not 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 are you concerned.
0: Not Not are you concerned, but do you think that there is? Like a lot of people say that it's centralized, um, and then they say they're not that actually, for whatever reason, that's not actually a problem. And like you said, you know. Go well, on, it's a I'll true statement
1: say. that there's a lot of hash rate in China. That's definitely a true statement, in uh, especially in, um, in Sichuan and Xinjiang, yeah. those two provinces. There's uh, enormous uh, hash rate. I mean, that's a factual statement. Am I worried about that? Not really. I, th- I think uh, people make the assumption that these are actors that are all kind of on the same page and could act like a cartel, and that, that's a risk factor in some way. And I, uh, I'm, I'm skeptical that it could ever work that way in practice. You have a lot of disparate actors with varied incentives. I, I think that it would be quite uh, difficult to get them all on the same page uh, to act not only together, but in a way that is potentially against their own economic incentives. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm quite skeptical of these narratives. But yeah, sure, it's a factual statement that there's huge hash rate in China that's true.
0: Also, well, you mentioned Sichuan. So Sichuan is one of the areas where um, there's a lot of renewable energy. So people sure. are mining there just because, it, you know when there's a high supply, Obviously, the yeah. prices for mining is lower. So I want to talk about energy, everything that's been going on at the moment. Um, of course, you know Elon Musk did that whole flip flop. Um, one minute t- Tesla are accepting Bitcoin, the next minute they're not accepting Bitcoin. Um, so yeah, yeah. just not just my off favorite the bat, thing. Yeah, go on. Why? What happened there for you?
1: Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think look, it's crypto is a unique space, right? I mean, I myself. Shit post on twitter yeah probably somewhat famously i like the shit post but i i also try to be responsible about the way i do it and Mm. so um and 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 i i I think there's a way to do things in a fun way yeah and there's a way to do things in an irresponsible way and so uh even you know a, a a crypto person like myself is is concerned about that. And to have Elon fucking Musk, who's what second richest person in the world as of today, to be fundamentally, in, in my view, irresponsible, I, I think it's incredibly disappointing. I think that um, um, he's LARPing much of the time. I mean, I do think he's interested in crypto. He thinks it's fun and he's probably interested in it for legitimate reasons as well. Mm-hmm. But um, look, he, he can't make jokes about test buying Tesla at 420 anymore, so he's finding a different way to LARP, and I, I think it sucks, honestly. I think it's bullshit. I think it's, um, it would be irresponsible even for someone like me and for the second richest person in the world to be acting like that. I think it's bullshit, basically.
0: Yeah, I can really understand the frustration um, of people in the community, especially when you know people try f- so hard. For example, like Nick yeah. Carter, to try and really explain um, how Bitcoin can use renewable energy and how it's actually a net positive. I think uh, Satoshi him or her or themselves I, I think, put it. I, I
1: think. Sorry, to interrupt. I think we got to no, be go a little it. careful too, because um, I, I think that it, it's very. Um, I mean, we have our own vested interests, right? So uh, many of us have most of our net worth in crypto and we're working in crypto full time. Mm -hmm. But I I think you have to be intellectually honest also. And I don't claim to be a mining expert. There are many other people who are uh, more understanding of mining than I am. That's not a primary focus at up. However, uh, I I think that um, we we should be my suggestion I would let me phrase it this way. My suggestion is that we need to be intellectually honest and not act like we're a Bitcoin lobbying firm trying to push a narrative. So I think we need to be super careful about uh, engaging with the Bitcoin as something environmentally friendly narrative in okay. a way that okay. sticks to the facts and is intellectually honest. Uh, now, I, again, I am not a foremost mining expert by any stretch. Uh, I'm a, a, a China-focused person, but not with a specific mining uh, competency. But my, my observation for sure is that uh, some of these narratives feel more like Bitcoin, big Bitcoin lobbying. Uh than something that is intellectually honest that's my opinion
0: yeah no I I totally understand because I think you know saying that bitcoin is green energy or use you know bitcoin is green is is definitely a stretch you know like everything uses energy I think the point that people have to stress is that well why don't we compare it to what we currently have now and sort of go from there and understand whether it's better, whether it's worth it, whether it is greener, not green, but greener. I think maybe that's like a sure, a key point. Um, I,
1: I fully support that. I fully support yeah. nuanced discussions about different kinds of trade-offs. I think that's something that's super important. Um, or, what I don't like is pushing a, a, a story. Is yeah. where I, I think it's helpful for any, even as someone who is full time crypto and has a, a lot of, at stake along with yeah. the rest of us. right? I, yeah. I don't think it's the right thing. I don't think it's helpful for anyone to push a story and not engage with um, with things in an intellectually honest way. That that's my suggestion.
0: And I think nuance is just impossible over Twitter. Um, you know, if that's anything well, that's that I, that true. I've learned, it is. That's Twitter stuff. is not made. Twitter is not made for debate. I will. I can debate that for for ages. Yeah,
1: I, I mean, look. Obviously, I, I think we all know that I love Twitter probably way too much. But um, I, I definitely agree with that. It's very, very difficult to have nuance on Twitter, look obviously, right? But you can also have things that are cr- clearly like a bullshit way of going about your business where it's yeah. just you're you're just talking nonsense and you're you're just um um you know lobbying shit or Shitposting. Well, posting
0: shit post- in a bad way in maybe, a bad no, way about the
1: definition of shit posting shit posting to me I think of as you know fun. But but and and so I don't really mind ship posting. But then when when people are pushing uh, simplistic, dis- you know, almost even dis- intellectually dishonest narratives, that's different. Shitposting, posting, I think of as just like may- maybe that's not what people mean when they say that. But to me, I think of it as like uh, fun talking trash type type thing. To me, that's okay. But what's not okay is trying to. Uh, twist twist the, the reality of our industry.
0: Yeah, I understand and I think I think talking about intellectual honesty is so important. Um and that nuance is really important. Um but off the back of all of this the mighty bitcoin council came about. So that was all very exciting. Um this caused a lot of backlash. Um and it it, it was really polarizing. So before I give my views, what are your views on a Bitcoin council put together by two billionaires?
1: I'm not super. I don't have strong feelings on this one. I'm not super opposed to it. Um, I I mean, I I think in general, I'm someone that gets very worked up about monopoly power and things like that. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, I'm not opposed to different stakeholders working together uh, if they are truly trying to, uh, you know, make improvements and, and be pro-social. I, I I don't necessarily have strong feelings on it at this time. I, I think <laughs> it, it, it comes down to intent, and yeah. I think that's an open question. But... But, I think but then again, you know, I'm not like, I, I'm more of a, a, candidly, I'm more of a post-Ethereum DeFi kind of guy. I'm not really like the old school Austrian economics libertarian type. If I were, I would probably be furious about Bitcoin Mining Council, but that's not really me. <laughs>
0: Understood. I think it's the idea of having this trustless network where there's no centralized power, and we all have one incentive, which is basically make money, pay back those mining um, fees, those those energy costs. So I I can fully understand the frustration. I mean, for me personally, I am I wouldn't say a diehard libertarian, but I, I really my heart really feels the the pull towards um not having centralized power but that's interesting though so did you we were, were you that libertarian and then you moved and sort of moved more towards I mean, the mean, ethereal... was when i was
1: like 19
0: okay <laughs> usually it's the other I way around also... usually
1: I usually when
0: you're to... younger sorry go on i go went
1: through the Ayn Randian phase i did i read all i read every single one of ayn rand's books when i was like 17 18 19 I, I definitely went through that phase at, at one but, point.
0: But usually it's when you're younger. So when I was about six, well, I was Well, usually they say you get
1: more conservative when you get older, but I'm not sure conservative is the same thing as libertarian. And I certainly would argue that you're not, that it's not. Uh, I do think that to some extent, libertarian is, I, I mean, a lot of people go through a libertarian phase in their late teens and early 20s, don't, don't they? When they the
0: other way around? Had no. Had to yet? <laughs> no, no. No. No way. I totally disagree with you. I think socialism okay. when you're young, socialist in your twenties, you know, when nobody's working and they're not paying their own bills, they're happy mm. for socialism. When you start making your own money and you're paying your own bills, and you're working uh-huh. hard to pay those bills, uh-huh. you then lean a bit more to libertarianism. I would say.
1: Mm. Could be. Could be. You're you're in the UK though, right? You guys yes. are still pretty normal, while well, you got Brexit, but but the United States has taken a weird lurch over my lifetime. So my yeah. my my politics have stayed basically the same, but I okay. went from like uh, probably like a uh, I, I went from maybe a, a Republican voter to. A, to you know to a Biden type guy even though my politics have basically stayed the same. But I, okay. I, I can see from your facial expression we're we're probably not gonna find a lot of common ground here.
0: No, I I don't like Biden. If I could if I could fit in really nicely in in America, it would be somewhere in Texas or Florida. That just that's me. Jesus <laughs>
1: Christ, are you are you sure?
0: Oh I'm totally sure I'm totally sure. I think I can I can see it. I can see it so you um, you'd, you'd going to Miami? I can't because I can't. No, I can't I know, because
1: where, where in Florida or Texas would you go? Would you go, yeah, to, Miami go to Miami? Or, Miami. Austin, or would Miami. you go like completely nuts and go to like the Florida Panhandle?
0: I don't know what that is, um, but Miami.
1: That's where it gets really weird.
0: Oh, really? What <laughs> happens there?
1: Uh, I I think that's where it it it's more um. um but Miami's Miami is a modern city, right? Yeah. So understood. you can I, I think I also would love Miami in many ways and Austin. We we have uh, uh we have um we have uh, uh, our D gen fund manager lives in Miami. We have an internal D Gen Fund run by uh, okay. a, a kid, fucking brilliant kid. He's still a good How kid. How old is he?
0: A What's a kid? How old is he? I think he's I
1: think he's 22.
0: Damn, that is. But yelling. he's
1: been, but he's been in DeFi for you know like three years now, and he's been in crypto for like five years, and he's an absolute fucking stud. Anyway, he lives in Miami, so I have I to visit that. him. love that.
0: No, I love yeah. that. I think the whole what, like this. This is why I, I, like I don't care so about.
1: I, I don't care about, uh, you know, age or pedigree or any of this shit. I don't give a fuck. We we turned down, uh you know, Harvard summa cum laude grads all the time. I don't give a fuck about any of that shit. I just care about, uh, hustle and industry knowledge and, uh, ability to get cool shit. done. uh, so I, I would hire a 62 year old or a 22 year old or a 17 year old, or I don't give a fuck. But yeah, we have so we have a, a kid, a kid that manages our internal DGEN fund, and he does an absolutely fucking fantastic job. He's just a complete stud. So, so he's the question is,
0: where did you find him? Where did you find him?
1: He cold called us, as I recall.
0: Oh really? He fucking
1: slid in my Twitter DMs. There you go. And we we on the regular interview hundreds of people to find one guy or girl, and and he he. He uh, so he came on as an intern and he's just a fucking animal. So we hired him and now he manages money and he's in fact he managed money before he even graduated university. So he still had some classes left. It was his last semester, and so he was sitting in fucking class managing money. Well as uh you know, ignoring the professor probably. And he, so, he's just absolute, absolute stud.
0: Yeah, I think the entire world is changing. Something that I always say is that um, university eventually will become redundant for most subjects, um, and for some reason that upsets a lot of people. But it, but it is what it is, and I think that um, no. you know he he messaged you. He messaged you on Twitter. Twitter is where where it's at when it comes to networking, um, and I love it. A lot of people yeah. get offended when I say that university is something of the past for most degrees. I mean, I regret my degree. I did a journalism degree, um, worked as a journalist, didn't like it. Now I do more infer- informal journalism. I guess you could call this journalism. I think journalism
1: is fucking cool. Journalism it is. is No, I'm serious.
0: Depends how you do it. it you in do another
1: lifetime, I could, could totally be it like an investigative journalist. I think in ju- journalism is fucking awesome.
0: Yeah, when you really? do it for yourself, it is. Of course it is. I love yeah. look, like I, I the reason why I did the show today with you is because I didn't understand what's going on in China. I want to understand what's going on uh, in China. I speak to somebody on the ground, like that's that's yeah, journalism, yeah. right? So I love that, but not when you um like worked for work for a big organization. Well, the big, is terrible. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so that's, that's two saying.
1: different things. Actually, yeah. having a job in journalism sounds honestly terrible. It will the actual work of being an in investigative journalism sounds just fucking awesome. Yeah. You know? I
0: have a story for you. So I used I to work degree. for um do you know CGTN? You must know them, China's Global TV I do network. Know CGTN.
1: Yeah. That's I used to work the global for global arm of CCTV.
0: Yes, I used to work for them. Um and so what is that
1: China State Television Global Division? Okay. Yes.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I work basically directly for the for them. Um and I was based out in Paris. Um okay. and I was sort of providing the European perspective as to what's going on. Anyway, there was a Huawei 5G conference. Um and I was working there and I had to I
1: may not be able to comment on this, you know.
0: <laughs> you don't have to comment. You, honestly, no, I'm, yeah. not really to I'm not really good. i just listen commenting. and that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's film. <laughs> okay, so I was um so I was at the conference, It was a Huawei 5G conference and um I was basically covering, putting together a news package, multiple different types of um creative pieces for CGTN. And yeah. um, I was under strict instructions about certain things that I couldn't do.
1: So uh-huh.
0: I, uh, I ask a lot of questions because I just yeah. want to understand. Um, I might ask the same question several times. I just really want to understand something. Um, so for yeah. me, and I'm very direct in the way that I speak. So for me, I just wanted to know from this guy uh-huh. that I was interviewing. So what are your comments about America, for example, blacklisting, Huawei, and, you know, Europe potentially doing the same thing? <laughs> I wasn't allowed to ask that. I wasn't yeah, allowed. No, you
1: weren't. Yeah, no, you weren't.
0: <laughs> and because I wasn't based in China, I was based in Europe, it was really hard to wrap my head yeah. around the fact that I'm producing a news story and I'm not allowed to ask a really good, simple, obvious question. So, you know, you're you're talking about 5G, you're talking about Huawei today, there are concerns that Europe might, mm-hmm. follow, might follow America. How do you feel about that? I wasn't yeah. allowed.
1: <laughs> but I'm not convinced that's so different. This is not... A defense of CGTN, by the way. It's okay. a critique of American media, is what it is. So yeah. I want to be clear on that point. I'm not convinced that's so different than Fox News or Sinclair, which is a network of news stations in the United States. I'm not convinced it's totally different from that.
0: Well, I mean, I <laughs> don't think that I would be in trouble if I asked those questions in America. And when I was told well, I mean, to do you
1: know, a you know, it your job, you know, basically... You would, you, okay. you could lose your job, I
0: think. I can't comment on that because I don't know, but what I do know is that I was told to make a fluff piece, not a serious news piece. Mm-hmm. That's what I was saying. Yeah,
1: I, I I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm not convinced that's different from Fox News or Sinclair, is my point. Maybe.
0: I, I don't not know, enough. but I I don't know. But I was I was it was interesting. And then at the conference as well, when I interviewed the guy, um there was just so much security watching the interview happen the guy was at home
1: once. Interview. i can't the remember. guy was a huawei it, it, top executive or
0: yeah yeah it, it, no government no. official or anything like that just somebody at huawei um and yeah all eyes all eyes while the interview was happening and i was like wow <laughs> this is it's strange yeah it yeah, was a really yeah. weird experience um mm. but since you um at Sino Global Capital, um since you guys specialize in um finding those hidden gems, I think that's what I, I read on your website. You call them hidden well, gems. Well,
1: you know we we also invest in super high profile companies and projects like uh you know FTT and Solana and Serum. But um I I kind of view um the real job or the real talent of a uh, VC is is um, is finding uh, talent and opportunities in unexpected places. Uh, so for sure, we we do both. But maybe, maybe I guess I like underdogs, so my my heart is maybe in the gems. Maybe you could you could think of it that that way
0: maybe. Can you tell I like us any outsiders. hidden
1: gems? I like underdogs and outsiders. Like who? Oh, uh, well, I mean, just like a general comment, you know.
0: Okay. So you're, so you're obviously to- interested. You're, go uh, on, go, go ahead, on, Matthew. Go, go on. No, no, you go for it. Go for it.
1: Well, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's more fun to find some random fucking genius in fucking Lisbon than it is to find a third generation Stanford grad backed by Sequoia. Isn't it like more fun? I think it's more fun. You know, I I mean, look, we do both, you know, but my heart, my heart, I'm more passionate about finding the people that fail pattern matching, but they're fucking awesome. You know, pattern VCs have their pattern matching, right? And so they look for, uh, you know, a small, mm-hmm. certainly Silicon Valley VCs um, would rather see uh, a Stanford dropout than, the, than the, the best student in the last 10 years at Purdue, you know? So I'd rather look for people that fail traditional pattern ma- matching tests, mm-hmm. but they're fucking awesome, mm-hmm. and I'd rather invest in them and then i have 1.4 billion people i can introduce them to and we can try to make some things happen so i you know i i look we do both but i my i I know where my heart is (laughs) you know
0: no i get that i get one is far more rewarding um but just finally i'm interested to hear um why you're excited about solana
1: so uh i think that um It's about design space, and so um, we also are enormously bullish on Ethereum. Ethereum is fucking amazing. Holic is a goddamn legend. So Ethereum right now is kind of like the default in many ways for DeFi, right? It's your everyday car and it's a fucking great car. Would be super comfortable, comfortable recommending this car to anyone. So um, Now, if this is your everyday car, I don't know, what's a good everyday car? I don't know, a fucking Volvo? I don't know. So if this is your Volvo, which is a safe car, it's a dependable car, it's a good everyday car. um, Super comfortable recommending it, but there's a a limited space of things you can do with a Volvo. Uh, So Solana, on the other hand, is like your weekend car, and it's a goddamn fucking Ferrari. This is your performance car. So um, a performance car opens up a whole vast design space, by which I mean all sorts of new applications, all sorts of new things that you can do. Uh, so Solana has a fundamentally um, different uh, transaction cost and transaction speed. It's uh, you know one or two orders of magnitude uh, faster and cheaper to be using the solana ferrari versus the ethereum volvo which i also again fucking love because it's it's a great car um so especially solana i think will be super well suited for fintech decentralized fintech applications uh that have high performance needs which is why you see um Uh, jump trading. I'm I'm not sure how widely known jump trading is because it's uh, elite in the same sense as Goldman Sachs, but they're not public facing. So many people don't know what jump trading is. But basically for TradFi, jump trading is one of the very most elite trading firms in the world on the caliber as Jane Street. If you probably haven't heard of Jane Street either, because again, not public facing, they just trade their own capital and they have no need for people to know who they are. But that's where Sam Bankman fried came from. He went from MIT to Jane Street to, to, to Alameda and FTX. So anyway, the point is that that's why Jump Trading, which is now um, spending an enormous amount of time on DeFi. They have, uh, they have two partners that manage the firm. And one of the two partners is personally managing it, managing DeFi efforts. And he and they have, uh, you know, at this point, dozens of people focused on DeFi. Uh, and they are very focused on Solana uh, and Serum because of its unique suitability for DeFi, uh, for high-performance DeFi. In fact, they're launching a uh, a new project soon. It's called Pith. Which is being mm-hmm. spun out mm-hmm. of uh, of jump trading. It's an it's a uh, it's an oracle related project. But anyway, the point is that um, uh, Solana opens up and Serum opens up a whole new design space mm-hmm. uh, because mm-hmm. that kind of transaction speed and cost is is so fundamentally important um, in in finance. So I, I think we will also have Um, other interesting applications come out of this new, vast design space. That's only the first one. Um, And they may be very unrelated to DeFi. In fact, I I believe we will see people experimenting with some of these ideas that were premature and ultimately disastrous in 2017. A lot of times timing is, is, is so important. So I believe uh, now that we have Solana, people will, will revisit ideas such as decentralized social networks, decentralized, you know, Twitter, mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. like that, and they might have uh, a much higher chance of success versus in 2017 when when we got these projects, we we basically were like, this is ridiculous, this is this is a stupid idea, but now they might actually make sense. Um, so uh, basically, it's about that design space, and it's about if you have something that's 10,000 times faster and 10,000 times times cheaper, all of a sudden you can do so many cool things. And I, I'm not even—I don't think anyone knows what some of these things will be yet, but there's definitely going to be amazing creativity coming out of this new design space so we were even though we we are sitting sitting on an enormous stack of ethereum and are hugely bullish on ethereum we're just so excited about solana and serum
0: yeah i think what yeah. we're at a stage now where you're absolutely right it's all about timing um i th- even yeah. think politically we've seen um we've had a lot of hostility um towards our space online um which kind of creates the need and pushes the need more for these decentralized applications, Web3, um, and all of it. So no, I'm totally with you. I think it's really exciting. Um, I hold some soul, that's why I asked you. Um, So yeah, I'm excited. I guess you're gonna
1: make it, GMI. I hope
0: I make it, I hope I make it. I don't know, (laughs) we'll have to see. Um, But Matthew, I wanna thank you so much for coming on. I almost forgot, I promised I would
1: give a shout out to my (laughs) friends, lunatics at uh, COPE, which is a Sino project. And they have one of the most intense, fucking amazing communities. And I love them so much. And so I promised I would give a shout out to the COPE Ape Army, my my lunatic friends at COPE. I promised I would do that. So thank you. There
0: you go. No, that's absolutely fine. Matthew, I wanna thank you so much. So wait, hold much on, Leah, where's like your, yeah. where's,
1: your COPE, where's your COPE Ape?
0: Where's I don't have any. I don't have any.
1: Well, you have to have a cope ape.
0: I don't know what that is. What's a cope ape?
1: So cope is a Solana-based project.
0: Oh, I see.
1: It's a a Sino portfolio company. And so we really love the community. And we thought a fun thing would be for, for the big cope holders, for every one of them, we adopted an actual fucking ape
0: you adopted an ape
1: yeah we adopted like 10 12 apes they're in rwanda wow so you you should get an ape that's my point we adopted like real apes they're in rwanda being taken care of by an environmental conservation group so um, it's just something for you to think about
0: i will think about it thank you for sharing that's actually really interesting I um, will have to find out more information on that. But wait, Matthew, before yeah, we go, where it. can people where can people find you? Where can people follow you and see what you're up to?
1: So the easiest ways to find me are on either uh, Twitter or WeChat. Um,
0: Twitter or WeChat. So
1: for my my Twitter is Maddie Sino, and the Sino Global Twitter, I guess it's Sino Global Cap C A P. That's the easiest way to find me
0: there you go i thank you so much it's been really good honestly i've been wanting to learn more and understand more about what's going on um where you are so yeah i really appreciate um you speaking on it and i enjoyed how you spoke around the subject i thought that was entertaining so uh (laughs) i
1: I enjoyed it as well thanks
0: absolutely so everyone thank you for tuning in and we will see you next week bye bye
1: okay take care bye